Hi, and welcome to Beyond Prisons, a podcast on incarceration and prison abolition. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Wilson. In this episode, I sat down with Amani Sawari of the Right to Vote campaign to talk with her about her work on this nationwide effort that grew out of the 2018 national prison strike demand to extend voting rights for all justice-involved people. Amani and I also talk about what it was like for her to teach poetry inside a youth prison, and she shares a couple of poems written by her former students. Amani Sawari is a writer, founder of the site sawariMe.org, coordinator for the Right to Vote campaign, and a 2019 Civil Rights Fellow with the Roddenberry Foundation. She graduated from the University of Washington in 2016 with a bachelor's degree in media communication studies and law and economics and public policy. Her visionary publications aid in distributing messages and building community among participants in the prison resistance movement on both sides of the wall. In the aftermath of the Lee County massacre that occurred in South Carolina's Department of Corrections, Sawari was selected by jailhouse lawyers speak to be their spokesperson for the 2018 national prison strike. Her coordination of over 400 endorsing businesses, groups, and organizations led to the successful participation of incarcerated activists in 17 states and three regions abroad, including Palestinians held captive in Israeli prisons, Leipzig prison in Greece, and at Burningside Prison in Nova Scotia, Canada. In addition to coordinating Right to Vote, Amani is organizing the statewide campaign to end truth and sentencing laws and bring back good time in Michigan. Today, Sawari's monthly Right to Vote report is mailed to hundreds of prisoners in 27 states across the country. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome. Uh, Amani, I am so glad to have you here today. Um, it is an absolute joy uh, to get this opportunity to talk with you. And um, yeah, how are you feeling today? I feel great. And I'm so happy to be here on the Beyond Prisons podcast. I'm so amazed to have met you in the flesh at the movie conference. <laughs> Who wasn't at that conference? Like, really? Everyone like, was there. All everyone. of the idols. Right? Right? Exactly. Exactly. So many people. But yeah, I was really excited to finally get to meet you. And um, yeah, so why don't we go ahead and, you know, jump in and uh, get started here. Uh why don't we just start off by having you talk a little bit about your work as an organizer and how you got started? So I got started in the work right after graduating from college. I went to college at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington, and I studied law, economics, and public policy, and I also studied media. And so I started a website after I graduated, and it's called sawarime.org. And on that website, my full intention was to report on demonstrations that I attended in the area. I would get really frustrated when I'd look for a recap on different marches, like Black Lives Matter marches, and all I'd see on Fox or Q was the people were blocking the roads, and this is how long they did, and then they left. So I wanted some more in-depth coverage about why people were there, what people wanted, what solutions we could create in order to have less incidences of violence, especially police violence. And so I would write articles, and then I started getting requests from people on social media to write specific articles about things that were happening in prison. I had no idea until I started writing the articles that these were people that were actually incarcerated on contraband phones, following my website, following my work, looking for ways to expose the conditions that they were suffering and the pieces, the the conditions they were suffering and the instances of retaliation that they were facing. And so once I learned that, I started to cater to that audience more. And so that's how I really got started. Uh, The national prison strike took it to a completely another level Mm-hmm. But that really is what put me on the scene. So that's where I got started. That's fascinating. I really, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's amazing. 
So um, you talked, uh, you know, you just mentioned the national prison strike, and I think that's a, you know, a great segue into the question that I had about that. So you were selected by uh, jailhouse lawyer speak to be the national spokesperson for the prison strike in 2018. Um, now we've talked about the prison strike on this uh on this podcast before and uh you know I'd, I'd like to hear more about your experience and you know what was really a prisoner-led effort um that you know happened in 2018 and what your work uh was like and what you took away from that uh experience yeah it was definitely an incredible experience surely overwhelming for me so in 2018, in the spring, I got a message on Twitter from someone who was incarcerated at the Lee County Institution. And they were asking for support with coordinating a national effort on the outside as they were coordinating on the inside. And their whole idea was to show the power that people in prison had when it came to raising awareness and shifting perspectives around prison conditions. Because what happened at Lee County could happen at any prison at any time, just because the staff decide to do a lockdown and they have an attitude to neglect the people that are in there suffering from violence. So knowing this, prisoners wanted to have some mass scale action. And so I was excited and eager to be a part of being a voice to amplify what was happening on the inside. And that's all I looked at my role as. This was completely prisoner-led. It continues to be prisoner-led. They set the demands. They crafted the demands. They crafted the different words that would come out in the newsletter. They put out messaging. And that was another big part of my role to put out a monthly newsletter and the newsletter was called Solid Black Fist. So we would put out a publication every two weeks from August, September, and October about what was going on, what states were involved, and then also messages of encouragement from groups and organizations that were endorsing. So that would keep morale high and it would keep the community growing on the inside. And then I would present on different networks, radio shows, podcasts about what prisoners' demands were. And most of these outlets were outlets that may have not even been concerned with the prison resistance movement prior to hearing about this large strike. So that was really exciting as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what was the the response that you got when you were on uh, on these programs? And how did the media uh, respond to, to you and to this work that you were doing? really depended on the perspective of the the program's audience. And so programs like uh, the Young Turks and Democracy Now! were definitely more liberal and progressive. And so they were inviting of the messages. They were excited about the work that was happening on the inside and they were supportive of it and they wanted to amplify that message and amplify that support to their listeners. But there were other podcasts that were more informative, so like BBC and um, like USA Today and ABC, those sorts of groups were just asking like the facts. How many mm -hmm. states are in this? How many people are doing it? What do they want? Do you think that's going to happen? And so mm -hmm. I was always very, you know, giving them the facts that they wanted and then very optimistic about what we wanted to see and how soon we would see it happen. And as we can see, Throughout 2019, there were 17 states that introduced legislation to end felony disenfranchisement or at least limit it to the scale of restoring parolees and probationers' voting rights. And mm -hmm. so we definitely saw some immediate action. And then even today, in 2019, there are states like Illinois that are working on raising prisoners' wage in prison to the minimum wage in an attempt to end prison slavery. And so we're seeing immediate results. We've also saw phone costs go down in states like Texas and here in Michigan. And so we're seeing immediate results from what prisoners were able to accomplish just this last year in fall. It's 2020 now, so just mm -hmm. in 2018. 
So it's exciting to see everything that's happening just yeah. a, like literally a year over. And it was just because there were so many people that were at least willing to amplify what was going on on the inside. Even if people don't agree wholeheartedly with what the solution should be, I think that the majority of people agree that the system is not working and they should be amplifying where it's not working. So if they know that there are people dying from a, a lack of air conditioning in Texas, we should be talking about that. Whether we think it's the governor's fault or the taxpayers or the prisoners themselves, however someone could think that, um, whoever's fault it is, we know that it's not working and we need to be talking about it so that we can create solutions. And so the prisoners made sure that we would talk about it by having this mass action. And now it's becoming a primary topic of discussion in schools, in places of education, but even in workplaces. Mm -hmm. And also on, on the political sphere, we've seen mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders come out with his Bill of Rights for prisoners. And so this is becoming a priority across the nation because of what people in prisons are doing. Absolutely. And can you um, can you go over the demands? I'm not going to ask you to recite all of them, um, but, you know, because the things that you were just describing, right, the uh, mm -hmm. wins that you're describing directly map against the demands that were put out by the prisoners in uh, 2018, right? So. Right, exactly. And there might be some people listening who aren't aware of what those demands are. So you're right. Just to briefly sort of go over them. The number one thing that, that prisoners are asking for are an improvement to prison conditions. And then that goes on to be explained as uh, an end to prison slavery and a raise in prison wages. There are some states where prisoners are paid seven cents an hour for their work. In Louisiana, there are prisoners literally picking cotton at Angola for two cents an hour. And so we, we have slavery living alive and well in our state's prisons. It goes on to ask for an end to the Prisoner Litigation Act. So that full act, the Prisoner Litigation Reform Act, must be rescinded. And what that did was bar people in prison from being able to sue and to hold people, whether they were also incarcerated or staff, accountable for the abuses that they suffer while in prison. So people in prison were no longer able to use their judicial rights as citizens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They had to be forced to use internal grievance processes in order to hold people accountable in prison, which we know, we know as organizers, we know a family of people who are on the inside, these grievance procedures are completely ineffective and corrupt because we can't expect abusers or people who are associated with the, the abusers to hold themselves or their peers accountable for the incidents that happen against prisoners, especially mm -hmm. if they're already used to dehumanizing and looking at these people as subordinates anyway. Yeah. There has to be an overriding body that is responding to these instances. So rescinding that Prison Litigation Reform Act would allow for prisoners to be able to hold their abusers accountable. Mm -hmm. And so that's an important one. And end in truth and sentencing. So there are States that have already ended truth and sentencing, but because these are national demands, their JLS has made sure to be as inclusive as possible. So truth and sentencing is still the law of the land where I am in Michigan, and I actually moved back in Michigan to work on repealing truth and sentencing during 2020. Uh, truth and sentencing mandates that a person in prison must serve a certain amount of their sentence prior to even seeing or being considered by the parole board. Here in Michigan, it's 100%. So mm -hmm. people can have time added to their sentence for violations, infractions, disciplinary, but they can never get time taken off. They can't earn credits for receiving a degree or mm -hmm. for keeping a job or for aiding a, uh, a fellow disabled or elderly prisoner or for anything, there's no incentive to, to perform certain acts of rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And in a, in, an, in a prison environment, 
like the one that we maintain in the United States, we know that it can be difficult to even maintain one's sanity. So to think about going above and beyond while in prison is something that needs to be incentivized. And so we're trying to change that here in Michigan with the Michigan Prisoner Rehabilitation Credit Act. But there are states that need drastic sentencing reforms, um, like in South Carolina, their 85% rule. Um, a lot of times when people refer to truth in sentencing, they think it sounds great. But we need to know that there is no real truth in sentence. There's mm -hmm. no truth in the way that we sentence people. We can't look at anyone, whether they're 16 or 60, and determine exactly when they'll be ready to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or that that change is happening in prisons. But I don't want right. to. I don't want to derail the conversation and take us there. Um, not just yet. <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll save that for a little bit later. But yeah, I mean, the idea that, you know, um, people should not uh, be left in prison to die, that you should not, right. you know, just uh, languish, you know, in prison. Um, and this, you know, for folks listening, obviously, uh, th they know that this is an abolitionist podcast. So I don't always feel the need to say, but I feel the need to say it now that, you know, we're saying this and we're arguing this point. However, we're also very cognizant of the fact that, you know, and we're both, you know, prison abolitionists. So it's not an either or, this is a both and, right? So <laughs> we need to get rid of prisons and we also need to address these things at the moment, right? As they're happening. And um, and these are things that prisoners want, Right. This these are things that prisoners want and say that they need. So um, taking them seriously and uh, is an important part of this work. Right. And then so just to briefly go over the, the final demands, also an end to racial overcharging and gang enhancement laws that target certain people, a restoration of Pell Grants, as well as bringing back more rehabilitative programs in prison, and then finally restoring uh, people's right to vote while in prison, but also especially while on probation and parole. So ending felony disenfranchisement was the final demand. Mm -hmm. um, and seemingly the most ambitious demand at the time, but has become definitely a pillar in this national prison strike fight moving forward. So th those are the 10 demands in a, yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for um, for the recap there. I think it, it's important uh, to remind folks of you know what they are and uh, and that this is an ongoing fight. That you know the national prison strike. You know we refer to it as 2018, um, but that the battle continues, right? That there's still a, a tremendous amount of work to do, and no one is just you know resting on their laurels um, at this point. So. Um, yeah, um want to take a little bit of a, you know, uh turn here um and and shift the conversation a little bit. Um I know from your bio that you've taught poetry to young people in prison. And um I'd love for you to talk about your experience and why you think it's important to teach poetry. Yes. So I've always loved poetry. I've considered myself a poet since I was young. So I did work with an organization called the Pongo Poetry Project. It's founded by a man named Richard Gold out of Seattle, and he has sister projects all over the world now. And so anyone who's interested after hearing this might want to look up Pongo and, and start a program of their own in a, in a local institution. But what, what we did was go into the facility and we worked with young people that were incarcerated at the King County Juvenile Detention Center to write poetry. And what poetry was, it didn't have to rhyme, it didn't have to be in any specific format or in stanzas. We would just tell students to write about what they feel from the heart. And we would try and, and accomplish this in, in nearly every session, most sessions, to get students to think about themselves outside of the walls that they were in. The more poems we got them to write, the more 
that they were able to do that. So the longer they sat with us and the more we could get out, the more that they would see themselves as, as who we knew that they were and, mm-hmm. and the greater they understood their potential to be in life. And so we just used specific methods of, and questions to ask, like, if you were a color, what color would that be and why? Why did you pick yellow? Why do you feel yellow right now? And then we'd get these poems out of them. And so I think it's important that we make sure to add programs that are focused around the art, literature, and writing because they're easy to add when we think about especially budgeting and material. Mm-hmm. All you need is pen and paper. Um, but then they're also very impactful when we think about uh, mental capacity and critical thinking and analysis. Those types of opportunities for people that are in prison that are usually doing the same things every day and seeing mm-hmm. the same things in the same colors and eating the same foods every day, forcing them to be a part of an artistic expression is critical. And something like writing, po- writing poetry is simple, but it's hugely impactful. So mm-hmm. I very much enjoyed it and had a wonderful experience. I was the youngest on my team at the time and uh, one of the only per- people that, that wasn't a, a retired old white person. And so the students were really excited to see me come in every week and to work with me. Actually, the first week that I came in, I was wearing street clothes. I had went to the restroom for a moment and I was coming back to where the class was being held inside of the detention center. And a staff member asked me, she, she almost yelled at me, what are you doing? And I looked at her and I said, I'm, I'm going into my session. And then she laughed and she said, oh, I thought you were one of the girls. And she meant one of the, the inmates. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and I said, I apologize. And then I walked past her. And in that moment, I thought, like, why did I apologize? One. Exactly. And two, why did she, looking at me, um, looking at all of me, immediately think to yell at and and reprimand me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that next week, I'd share that with my team. And that next week, she apologized and said... I had such a young face. That's why she made the mistake. And I realized the the battlefield that I was on, I wasn't supposed to be coming in there as a volunteer. Yeah. I, that's not what, what they would have expected, the prison mm-hmm. staff there. And they didn't want me there as a volunteer. Um, three years after working with the project, I ended up leading the project. I was a paid uh, person organizing and uh, getting people onto the team and facilitating the project. After being featured on Democracy Now!, I was asked to leave the project. So I wasn't considered um, safe, in their opinion, to have coming in. Um, But the students at the time had no idea about the National Prison Strike. I didn't talk about the work that I did. and I never would do such a thing during those hours. Mm-hmm. I was a teacher. And so for them to think that I didn't even have the capacity to separate the work that I was doing in there with the, with the national work that I was doing as an organizer was also frustrating. So mm-hmm. I was offended throughout the project by the system itself, but I had enough love for the students that I was working with to fight in that offense and and continue to provide the service that was desperately needed there wow wow I don't even know I don't even know how to respond I mean there were a number of different things you said there from you know your experience with um the the prison uh staff person uh reprimanding you um and Mm -hmm. I think it's also a sorry excuse to say that you know you had a young face it's like right you find it acceptable to talk to the young people um under your charge in this way right Mm -hmm. that you think that that's an acceptable thing but you know had you known better you would have treated me differently because you know I'm not a prisoner like there's so much to interrogate there um, and so much that, you know, 
I'm, I'm physically getting agitated <laughs> thinking about yes. your, your yes. experience with that. And it's just, you know, it, it's infuriating. Um, but also, you know, very disappointed to hear that that was the response um, of the organization. And, uh, you know, when you were being very public about, you know, prison conditions and advocating um, for, you know, for these things. So that's, right. that's, that's, that's really tragic. Um, and I want but, to clarify that it wasn't the organization Pongo that dismissed me. It was the prison, the prison as oh, the prison the organization. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And even the founder said, you know, I want to keep her here. We all had a meeting with the um, director of that facility and they said, you know, either her or the whole group has to go. And wow. so, yeah, so they tried. Wow. Pongo's a great org. They tried, but the prison has its rules. And so for the sake of allowing the organization to continue to work there as they do, and they have been for over 21 years now, um, I just just left, dismissed okay, my, allowed myself to be clearing that up. I, I was yeah. um, I was unclear about that, but you know, it also speaks to the kind of fragility of these institutions that they mm -hmm. feel so threatened right? And that's what it is. Mm -hmm. They're so threatened by just your presence there, even if you're not addressing these things in your class, right? You're not talking mm -hmm. about the national prison strike. You're there teaching poetry and what have you, that they're like, well, we can't even have you in this space, right? Because yeah. your very being is the problem, right? And it's like, right. I mean, to me, it's just, you know, it, it, it goes to show why it requires, you know, walls and bars and guns and dogs and mm -hmm. metal detectors and cameras and all of these different things. It's not because these institutions are strong and powerful. It's like, it signals, at least to me, in my estimation, that they're very weak in, oh, in yeah. those things, right? And oh, you know, yes. we we can complicate that and and uh you know that that idea and talk about you know yes these are powerful institutions obviously but um they're also simultaneously weak because they have to have all of these things in place because if someone teaching poetry is a threat, right, <laughs> then everything mm -hmm. is a threat then everything is a threat, right? Yes. And, oh gosh. And as Asada Shakur says, love is contraband in hell. So yep. when we think about practices that are actually caring and rejuvenating and healing for people on the inside, that's threatening to the, for the sustainability of the walls of the prison, mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. making the people better there makes the prison less valid as an institution to even exist. And Absolutely. so it's working against itself when it allows these programs to come in and actually be transformative. And if there's anyone working within the prison that that is actually impactful, yeah. they are, are usually threatened in some way throughout the process. And for me, as a Af young African-American woman sitting in this institution of slavery, coming in every week, it was like a mental and emotional sacrifice and weight Absolutely. just even overhearing some of the conversations that staff would have with the young people, the young mm -hmm. people that were incarcerated there. I would I would get so annoyed and frustrated and sometimes not even want to come in next week because of me wanting to cry in my car after mm -hmm. witnessing things that would happen between staff and even staff talking to each other about a young person. It was like, how, how is this possible for them to be calling this young girl a monster that they're responsible for rehabilitating? It mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so but, and, and we both know it's like they're not there to rehabilitate anyone. Um, they're there mm -hmm. to just, you know, keep them under lock and key and heavily surveil them and continue to punish them for existing, for being yeah. you know, in this world. There's very little to no rehabilitation uh, happening in, in these facilities. And any that is happening is coming from outside groups and volunteers and folks who are, you know, providing 
um, things that are rehabilitative, right? And uh, whether it's, you know, um, poetry workshops or yoga or what have you, um, I think that those things are, you know, are needed. Um, they're important. And at least, you know, from the research that, that I've looked at, um, they make a difference. They make a big difference. Yeah. And a thing that we don't want, um, or we, uh, I don't include myself in, in that, but the thing that these institutions don't want is for that. They don't want anything that's going to make a difference. They want to, their, their you know, narrative is very fragile, right? So they're, mm-hmm. they have to maintain that at all costs. And the more fragile it is, the harder you have to work at basically keeping out anything that is going to run counter um, to that story that they want to tell. That these are horrible people. These are terrible kids. And, you know, they, you know, don't deserve any of this stuff. And that this stuff is, you know, um, dangerous or what have you, or at least some people um, doing this is it dangerous to them. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm glad you cleared that up because I was like, oh, that's, yeah. So I appreciate that. Um, Do you have some of your poetry that you'd be willing to read for us? Um, let's see. I'm gonna shuffle around. I don't want to make too much noise. Let me see if I can find something. It would be awesome to be able to share something that a student wrote as well. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, and I know it has something in my computer. But yeah, we we would write poetry every week as mentors. Mm-hmm. And we'd write poetry with the students. And then at the end of the year, they would have a, um, like a poetry reading for the community. So community mm-hmm. members could come in and come into the library once a year and hear the work of the students, of course, we'd have to be both with a background check and stuff like that. But it could be like family, a few judges, um, and then people who participated in the program in the past mm-hmm. would come. But even with things like that, you could see how even the judges, their perspectives of the young people would change just in listening to the poetry. Yeah. Yeah, because it's powerful. It's powerful. I mean, art is um, an incredibly, you know, transformative tool. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, incredibly healing. So I'll read this poem. It's from 2016. And it's by a young boy in detention. That feeling, addiction, it's a crazy thing. It just takes over. I don't know what to do. Without the drug, maybe I'd feel better if I just got a hug. It's life changing. I feel like I can't go back. Without it, I feel like I'm gonna snap. But with it, I feel so much better. But I also feel worse. Without it, I feel like I'm cursed. I just want a real life. I don't want to have to try so hard. I just want it to be easy, like when I was three and had no worries. Wow. Wow. So we would have subjects and addiction was one that a lot of students would pick to write on. Yeah. And you could see even with moments in their lives, like with the piece I just read, we would probably follow that up with writing about when he was three. Yeah. Why'd you pick three? What happened at three? So these, just the writing the poetry, they're reflective moments that naturally happen. You might talk about something that you didn't even mention to your counselor. The counselor might not have no idea that there was mm-hmm. an incident that happened in their life at three. But me, as an outside community, volunteer coming in and talking to them I'm someone that they don't know they've never interacted with but that they've shared feelings about their addiction about feeling back and forth yeah. about feeling like they have to snap 
this moment in their life in, in young childhood where they felt like everything changed. They shared all that in yeah. art, artistic expression. Yeah. And so, yeah. But it, I mean, it's also it. because, you know, you're not, you're not there to punish them. Uh, mm. You're not there to use the information that they share with you um, about themselves against them. Right. So right. you get the message um, very early on that the more you disclose um, to, you know, to the folks inside, um, the more that it comes back sometimes to, to harm you. And you, you know, it's like even if, even if it is a counselor, right, someone who's supposed to, you know, help you. Um, yeah. Like, I, I think that, you know, um, that's a, a tremendous, um, a tremendous poem. And um, it just, wow, I'm going to think about that a lot. I'm going to think about if that. possible, I'd like to share a piece by a young girl in detention. Yeah, please. She wrote this on Valentine's Day, 2017. It's called Changing Ways. No New Year's resolution for me. No crying decree. No promises, just average changes. Less time screwing around, more time helping my parents in need. Less time skipping school, more time going to school. Not so many fake friends, a few more real friends. Not so many regrets, a few more successes. Less running away from reality, more facing reality. Less dreaming more accomplishment. Change after all is good. Change after all is all I know. Dedicated to my mom. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And in the project, you'd just feel the weight of the young people's lives and know mm. that all that the system was doing was adding more weight, creating more tension, and making them feel less confident and have less self-esteem in who they were. Mm -hmm. So through this poetry, we were able to help them identify and build up that self-esteem. But mm -hmm. that's two hours on a Tuesday in comparison to all the hours that they spend Yeah. Yeah, in the prison Absolutely. with opposing messages. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. as many programs as we can get in, the better. We need to create more opportunities for programming to exist in prisons. That's mm -hmm. one of the prison strike demands. And I think that the more that we tear down that wall, that opaque wall, the lack of transparency that mm -hmm. the prison has, the more powerful people in prison and people working in this prison resistance movement will be. That is the one playing card that the prison has is that people don't know what's going on in there fast enough and that yep. people can't get in. Yep. Yep. No, oh, I mean, they, they have a monopoly on, you know, information on communication. Mm -hmm. um, and that is where their power lies outside of that. Um, like I said earlier, I mean, and, and folks will probably disagree, um, you know, they're incredibly weak, um, you know, and, right. and that's relative. Um, again, I want to emphasize that we recognize that, you know, these are very powerful institutions and um, and whatnot. But at the same time, they're they're also incredibly weak and, and they reveal something about themselves um, through these kinds of actions and policies and their retaliatory tactics and, you know, mm -hmm. their um, need for complete control. I mean, this is, you know, classic abuser logic. I mean, it's just... Yeah. It really is, you know. Um, thank you for sharing those uh, those two poems. That's it, it. Just those two poems are just absolutely incredible. Absolutely I incredible. I appreciate you allowing me to share them. And I'm just scrolling through trying to find you know something succinct and powerful. Mm -hmm. But they're all so good. So it's not by any means that they're the favorite or the best. But I yeah. just thought they fit the subject matter how we were talking, yeah, yeah. We were talking I mean, about. So. 
I think you could probably pick anything and it right. would be, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, I want to, you know, talk a little bit about the work that you're currently doing. Um, so, you know, I know we only have like 15 minutes left, a little less than that. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I'd like to hear a little bit more about, you know, or a little bit about um, the Right to Vote campaign. And I know you're involved in, in some other work as well. So do you mind sharing a little bit about both of those things? Of course. So the Right to Vote campaign is our national new suffrage movement. We have over a dozen states in our cohort that introduced legislation in 2019 to restore people's voting rights that are impacted. And so what we did throughout 2019 was have a newsletter that went inside of the prison and kept people up to date on how legislation was progressing on a state level in each of those places where a bill was introduced. This year in 2020, what we are doing is partnering with a organization called Issue Voter. It's founded by Maria Yuan. She's also a Roddenberry Fellow. She was a 2018 Roddenberry Fellow. And her organization is focused on empowering voters, especially new age voters, millennials, Gen X, uh, Gen Y folks, to use technology to stay up to date on what's going on. So they can sign up to an app and know when a bill has made it through committee and know and quickly contact their senator. So what we're doing is trying to translate that tool into something that people in prison can use through the newsletter. So instead of using an app, we're using the newsletter as the tool by which we can update people in prison on legislation that's happening on a federal level. So we'll be following a few different pieces of legislation that we felt were relevant to, on a national scale, the prison resistance movement, there's expungement legislation, resentencing legislation. I'll look those up so I can say uh, the full names. But we were gonna be following specific pieces of legislation. Uh, we have a chart to show where they are in the process of getting passed into law. So mm -hmm. we understand that a lot of people in prison might not understand how complex the process is. They might think that once something's introduced, it's already a law. They're all ends of the spectrum of understandings of how laws go into effect. And so mm -hmm. we have that chart. We have a breakdown of what the bill is about, as well as quotes from people who oppose and are in favor of the bill. And mm -hmm. so then we also keep people in prison informed about who their representative is based upon the district in which they are living. And then we encourage them and give them the resources, the address of that person to be able to contact and reach out and tell them how they feel about the legislation that they've reviewed in the right to vote report. And so our goal is to take our couple thousand subscribers that we have up to 10,000 subscribers. So we really want to have a, a chunk of incarcerated supporters of the right to vote campaign that are following legislation that are communicating with their legislators that are communicating and network with their family members and outside organizers about the updates that they get in this report we know that and we've discussed that there is a lot of restrictions to the type of information that's allowed into the prison so we know that as citizens even people in prison have a right to be informed and so we are filling in the gap and providing that information so that that right can be protected for people in prison across the country. So the right to vote report is free to prisoners. They can subscribe by simply mailing my PO box, which is 2278 in Detroit, Michigan, 48202. And then they'll be added to the mailing list to receive the report. And we've got an issue coming out before the end of Black History Month. Happy Black History Month, folks. And so please write in and let us know that you'd like to be a subscriber and that would help us reach our goal. Absolutely, and we'll make sure that we put um, all that information, including the information for Pongo that you shared earlier in the show notes and um, provide links so that folks can easily find um, find that and, uh, and subscribe. So um, you can make sure to add me uh, to that list as well. 
Of course, and those acts that we're covering are the Democracy Restoration Act, the Clean Slate Act, the Second Looked Act, and the Safety Valve Act, and those are both of 2019, and they're two-year pieces of legislation. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to the Right to Vote campaign, I'm also working on a statewide campaign here in Michigan called the Past Good Time and Repeal Truth and Sentencing Campaign. And we are trying to make sure that people imprisoned in Michigan can earn time off of their sentences while they're incarcerated. This is the case on the federal level, as well as in 47 states across the country. So we are just trying to bring Michigan up on the playing field, at least of everyone else, by creating opportunities for people to earn time off and come home earlier for good behavior, for getting academic, professional, and behavioral accomplishments while they're incarcerated. Michigan's prisons are way overcrowded, and so this will give us a relief from the over $2 billion that we spend per year on our correction system so that we can liberate Michigan. So that is the work that I'm doing on a statewide level. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, you're an amazing person and uh, it just, um, I'm in awe. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anyone in Michigan, please sign our petition. We're trying to collect at least 350,000 signatures before the end of May. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely make sure you get us uh, that information. We'll include it uh, in the show notes uh, so that, you know, and we'll circulate it when the episode comes out. So we'll make sure that, you know, we we signal boost that as well. Um, okay. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Do you have another poem um, you'd like to share with listeners before we end our hour? Sure. Let me look for another poem. Okay, here is a poem written in January of 2017. It's called Daily Things. This was written by a young girl in juvenile detention and it's entitled Daily Things. I go to bed every night. I see a couple of bright lights. I hear a couple sounds and they sound like gunshots. I smell hot Cheetos, eating them in my bed sleeping in a king-sized bed, like rolling hills underneath me, touching my heart with fear, thinking that someone's gonna come for me, kick down my door, come in my house and hit me. But I hit them back, I have no fear. Here's another one. This is written by a young boy in detention. Life of a young Mexican. Just a young child, living life wild, rarely had a father figure. So I just started busting triggers. I was a good boy back in elementary. Who would have thought I'd get to see the penitentiary? Squares at my school never really liked me. I felt misplaced. I just wanted to be happy. I told my mother, let's go back to Mexico. She said, sorry, mijo. You just have to let it go. I said, fuck it, and went to Denny Middle School. Everything was different. I started acting like a fool. Met some crazy vatos back in seventh grade. That was when my life really freaking changed. I started kicking it with all the fucking criminales. We would be posted like a herd of animales. I started sporting that blue. I started repping that surf. I used to think it was about hanging and smoking dope. Then I realized that this gang life ain't no joke. Got beat up a couple times, missed a couple times, sold a couple dimes. Hmm. Wow. So yeah, there's another poem from a young guy and a young girl in detention. Please feel free to use whichever ones you'd like, whichever cuts of them you'd like. We're, well, we're keeping all of them in this episode. Um, Wonderful. We're keeping all all of the poems you've read uh, in the episode. If you can send us the text for the poems uh, so that we can 
post them on on the um along with the show notes that would be amazing too so that if folks want to um want to read them um that would be you know super useful um but amani thank you so much thank you so much this has been a wonderful hour um i just i'm glad we finally sat down and had this conversation we'd been anticipating this for a very long time uh it's long long overdue um but i'm glad it i'm glad it happened when it did i am too and i think it happened at the perfect time with the work that's happening with the way that the movement is going you know the speed and the pace of everything where my life is this is a perfect time for me to be on a podcast and to be talking about this and especially to be on your podcast and to be talking to a group of people that are committed and passionate about the movement as I, I feel like your audience is. And so I'm really excited about it. And I just thank you for the opportunity and I look forward to seeing the final product or hearing the final product. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're one of the young people that, you know, really does make me believe that, you know, we're, we can make this thing happen. Like it just, you are um, dedicated, um, smart, smart. I I know that comes across, uh, you know, in everything that you say, you know, your stuff. Um, and, uh, you're just full of love and, and I, I see that, um, that shines through in your work. So I appreciate you Thank very you. much. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. It's rejuvenating. Thank you for being here. We'll talk again soon. We'd like to thank you for listening to Beyond Prisons. If you find our work valuable, we ask that you head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to Beyond Prisons. You can support our work by sharing this and past episodes on social media. If you're financially able to support us, you can do so for as little as $1 per month over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash beyondprisons. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always reach us at beyondprisonspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time.